Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it This year, 2024, just in case you forgot, marks the 75th anniversary of Aldo Leopold's seminal work, A Sand County Almanac. That groundbreaking text introduced the concept of a land ethic and established the foundational conservation principles organizations like Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever operate by today. On this episode's uh, on this episode of On the Wing podcast, I've got Rich Wissink, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Vice President of Conservation Programs and a returning guest on the podcast. I think you were last on when we talked rough grouse, It right? was, just a few months ago. Yeah, we were previewing the season, I yeah, think. It's right? unbelievable that it's over. <laughs> I know. It's sad. It goes by so fast. Um, Rich is uh, uh, not only a grouse enthusiast, uh, you're a biologist and a lifelong Wisconsinite and uh, a Leopold disciple. So I, I thought it would be natural to ask Rich to join me for this conversation. And our featured guest is Buddy Huffaker, the president and CEO of the Aldo Leopold Foundation. And we're going to focus in on all the Leopold, but most specifically the seventh, 75th anniversary of a Sand County Almanac. Uh, buddy, thank you very much for Uh-oh. joining us here at headquarters. Great to be here. Great to be back and be with you two. <laughs> it, it, great to be back. It has been a couple of years since you swung through here. Yeah, it, it has. It has. What, what brought you to town? Uh, doing some work with a corporate sponsor of the Leopold Foundation and uh, reached out to you and said, hey, uh, if... The land ethic isn't relevant to pheasants forever. It's not relevant anymore. And was uh, thrilled to get such a warm reception and invitation to have this conversation today. It took me about three seconds to realize, <laughs> hey, this is a good podcast opportunity. <laughs> um, you know, for folks that, um, you know, maybe maybe have heard Aldo Leopold's name. Um, let's start with Leopold, right? We'll, then we'll dive in a little bit about your background. But for folks that are like, who's Aldo Leopold? What's Aldo Leopold Foundation? Tell us about Aldo. Well, kind of as in your opening, I mean, he laid the principles for modern conservation. He was one of our country's earliest professionally trained conservationists. Graduated from the fifth class of uh, the Yale School of Forestry. The fifth the class. The fifth class, huh. which was our country's first kind of conservation program, conservation science program. Went to work like everybody who graduated from Yale at that time for the Forest Service and hmm. started his career out on the big public lands of the Southwest in Arizona and New Mexico. Um, was really impacted by how wild that landscape was and yet how it was being impacted and changed through development and land use practices. Then got kind of transferred back to the Midwest in a bureaucratic job for the Forest Service and hated it and Mm. uh, decided to study his real passion, which was wildlife. And so in the 1930s, he gets this contract with SAMI, the Sporting Arms Ammunitions uh, Manufacturing Industry, to do surveys of wildlife populations across the country because there was a worry that, you know, who's going to need ammunition if there's no wildlife to hunt out there? Hmm. And so he documented the populations. That uh, led him to write his first book, Game Management. Uh, and, and everybody kind of talks about a San County Almanac as this visionary text. I like to use game management as an example. He starts writing the book, takes him two years to write the book. After that, he gets hired by the University of Wisconsin Wisconsin, to teach the first class ever on game management ever offered in the world. So he's the first professor ever hired for a field that didn't exist until he wrote the textbook two years prior. Is that right? And so that, you know, I mean, when you say Pheasants Forever uh, flows Mm -hmm. out of this lineage, it absolutely does. I mean, hard to meet a wildlife biologist, at least of certain generations that hadn't grown up reading Leopold in a San County Almanac or I, game management. I, I, would, I wonder if you say certain generations. I mean, I, I, 
bet you all generations, because I mean, like Meat Eater in particular, I think has done a great job of re-elevating all the Leopold in recent years. Yeah, I think there's been a, a little bit of a resurgence. Yeah. And, I, and I think, it again, speaks to just the timelessness of his writing and his messaging um, and that he invites us all to be part of the, the conservation conversation. Hmm. You mentioned Leopold's first job where he goes to the Southwest, which has always struck me as, that's odd. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, did, he, did he apply to move down there? Do you know that? that well, that's of the a story? good question. I mean, again, there weren't very many conservation jobs in 1909. Uh -huh. uh, and the Forest Service was just recently established. And so it was a workforce development effort, really. And they needed help. And so... If you graduated, like there weren't there weren't the same kind of options there are today. Sure. It was like, well, you go to work for the Forest Service or or nothing. And I'm pretty sure he just got assigned. Yeah. And you know, huh. New Mexico wasn't even a state at that point. So that's you know, I'm when I say that's odd. It's I mean, Rich and I were just down Arizona, uh, Coronado National Forest here in the last month, and I I don't say that in any sort of negative connotation because it's gorgeous, yeah. right? The um, Southwest, whether New Mexico, Arizona, beautiful and home to quail species that are cosmic, to use another <laughs> co-worker's <laughs> term. I it just, I was always like, how the hell did Leopold, because he grew up, he was born in Iowa, right? Right, right. Midwesterner. It was yeah. How did he end up, and there's, what, what's in Albuquerque? There's There's some... Um, a monument to Leopold in Albuquerque, or am I misremembering? Well, there's a lot of monuments to Leopold in the Southwest, mm. and and again, you know, uh, Leopold really just represents what was happening in our country overall. He's just now become this kind of iconic uh, figurehead. But I mean, all the employees of the Forest Service were shipped out all over the country huh. as we were setting up these national forests. None of them, especially out west. I mean, you know, the population wasn't that big. There weren't very many schools to go to to be qualified. And so it was kind of populated by a bunch of Easterners who found themselves in pretty wild, uh, different landscape. Hmm. You go know, ahead. Bob, you talked about uh, the relevance of Leopold's writings and teachings in today. the 21st yeah. century. Yeah, today. In preparation for this, I reached out to a couple of professors I have relationships with. Uh, Dr. Eric Blomberg from the University of Maine. We'll talk about his father, a character, and the whole incestuous story <laughs> later on in, in our podcast. And then Susan Falegi, uh, a professor of wildlife management at the University of North Dakota, also on our National Board of Directors. And both of them use a San Colony Almanac in their um, freshman classes to talk about uh, a land ethic and national history or the study of wildlife and plants through observation. And obviously, Leopold was excellent at yeah. that. I, I, and I mentioned Meat Eater. I mean, I, I think Meat Eater has had multiple conversations on the podcast about how influential today um, a San County Almanac and all the Leopold is not biology, but uh, Dave Simonet, lead singer of Trample Bay Turtles, he reads a San County Almanac once a year. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people that are like it's so it's such an easy read. Yeah, right, and you can read it month by month. And he, um, Leopold's just his power of observation, and then turning that observation into kind of a triple layer deeper thought yeah it, it is is relevant today as it was in the 60s when he wrote it i, I love this line that jack ward thomas a, a chief of the forest service uh about 20 years ago uh he said i would read a sand county almanac every year on my birthday just to see what i'd learned mm. because every time you go back to it there's it reveals new things mm -hmm. as great literature does uh but you're different the world's different the writing's the same, mm -hmm. but you but you take something new out of it each time. Yeah. So, all right. So this is a little bit different format than normal podcasts, right? We we start talking about the subject matter before we talk 
to the guest and learn about you. But it, and this was a suggestion. We're like, we should probably just introduce Leopold before we go too deep, which makes sense. Uh, you know, if somebody's listening, like, who's all the Leopold? So we we've given that little bit of a background. Let's let's learn a little bit about Buddy, <laughs> not the elf, but the CEO. <laughs> I always say I've had a lot of dogs named after me too. So, were you named after the elf? Uh, no, I, I predated the elf, unfortunately. So, tell us a little bit about who you are, and um, you know, like lead us into your role with the foundation. Yeah, well, the quick story is I grew up a pretty typical suburban kid. I didn't hunt. We camped a little bit, but. Um, and then in high school, I was uh, in the 80s with the economy. I was just struggling to find a summer job. And, hmm. and friends of my parents owned a soil testing laboratory. Hmm. And so I got my eyes got opened up to this. Uh, I did soil samples. Where, where was this? This was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, it just kind of got me open and interested in, in a world that I had never known anything about. And then, uh, Bob, you know, I know you had a passion for sports and, mm -hmm. and still do. I was very passionate about sports. So then I decided I was going to be the greenskeeper for the Chicago White Sox at huh. Comiskey Field. And <laughs> so I go to Purdue University to uh, meet. So you're a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan. I am a White Sox okay. fan. Uh, yeah, through and through. No, just just <laughs> making sure on that clarity. So, so we're gonna there go. aren't many of us out there. Yeah, so, yeah. We're gonna be a greenskeeper. Okay, <laughs> gonna be. be the I know a few of these yeah. type of folks. So then uh, I'm I'm doing my campus visit at Purdue University, and I go visit the soil science department. And I gotta tell you, it was not very exciting. <laughs> and they told me all this chemistry I was gonna have to take. Uh -huh. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so. By chance, I just checked landscape architecture as another program to look into. They were telling me, oh, we're going to help you learn how to identify plants and wildlife and, and draw and design space. I was like, that sounds a lot more exciting. <laughs> so while I was there, I took a Wildlife in America class, and one of the textbooks was a Sand County Almanac. Wow. And that kind of started opening my eyes even further to ecology and you know, through a kind of series of, of mysterious but fortuitous steps, I ended up at the table with Nina Leopold Bradley, Aldo Leopold's daughter. I'm not, uh, you two might have had a chance to meet mm -hmm. Nina, amazing ecologist in her own right. And it was just as she was ready for her second retirement, the family had created this Leopold Foundation to help ensure their father's legacy would uh, continue to, to grow and be relevant. And I was supposed to be there for a field season, and then a year, and 27 years later, they haven't figured out how to get rid of me. No, okay. So you're the first employee of the foundation? I was the second employee, and then they went through a couple of executive directors. As, you know, everybody was figuring out who was doing what. Sure. And, and, it, and it was actually 25 years ago on the 50th anniversary of San County Almanac that I was the only person still standing. I was like, well, <laughs> well, either this place better get its act together or I'm going to be, I'm going to have to move. And so like Shark I, Tank for Leopold. It was. I had no qualifications, no experience, and but they were kind of stuck with me at that point. So. And how long have you been there? Well, I've been, uh, so I've been executive director 25 years. But, you wow. know, as we've grown, wow. my role and responsibilities have changed. Uh, dramatically from that first year but yeah yeah wow, congratulations 20, yeah that's a you must be doing something right well i they haven't figured out how to get rid of me yeah so <laughs> so what's a what's a day-to-day -day, um job as president and ceo of leopold Fund? well you know for me now given the, the you know we got about 20 a uh, little bit over 20 employees most of my job is fundraising strategic uh relationship development some finance and and admin stuff, uh, and then just being the advocate and ambassador for the land ethic. Okay. So it depends on the – actually, you know, already today I had a, a, a board meeting and uh, sent emails to donors and now talking to you guys about a <laughs> land ethic. This is, this is way better, <laughs> by the way. So tell us, what's, what's kind of the mission of the Leopold Foundation? What, what's your charge to accomplish? Yeah. So we're obviously grounded in the, the legacy of Aldo Leopold. When the family created us, they, you know, they gave the farm away. They gave the farm to the Leopold Foundation. So we now own and manage. It's a National Historic Site. 
uh, but we're also managing 4,000 acres for grassland and savanna around that. 4,000 acres? 4, 000, us with a private partner. Wow. Um, for grassland birds, uh, you know, because as you all know, grassland habitat is is really struggling out there on the landscape, um, and that's what we can that's what we can offer from mm. a conservation perspective. Um, so we we own the historic site. We're doing continue continuing to do applied conservation work, and then the other part of our portfolio comes from the fact that the family entrusted us to be the executor of his literary estate. Mm. So we help bring the book out in new languages. It's been translated into 15 different languages, new formats, uh, and work with faculty on college campuses to make sure it stays in the curriculum. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, we're looking to continue to grow that part of the portfolio. Oh. You said game management was written first. Correct. How, how much earlier? Uh, 1933 oh, is when so it was so pretty published. significant. Yeah. Because right, yeah. San County Almanac was 60... Well, technically well, 49. 49, okay. A year after Aldo's death. So, you know, that's one of the well, kind of if I did the 75th the anniversary, I would <laughs> yeah. connect that. Uh, I'm, but I'm the, good at math, Rich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, what happened is in the 60s, Oxford brought it out in paperback. Uh-huh. And then Leopold really gets discovered with Earth Day in 1970 from a popular audience. And oh, so really? He's always used, as Rich was saying, in, in wildlife and forestry and applied ecology, but uh, even through the 40s and 50s. But it's Earth Day and the world kind of looking for good environmental conservation writing, and there just wasn't much. Hmm. And so he was out there and affordable at that point. Huh. I, I had no idea that earth day was kind of in the relaunch for him you can just see sales they're kind of they're going up but then with 1970 they go exponential is that right uh, yeah so you talked about a, a bit of a resurgence here recently do you attribute that to anything in particular uh i think i attribute it to this growing ecological awareness mm. uh and i think kind of a new generation that uh, is trying to understand the past, present, and future of conservation in a way for a while. I think we are a little too myopic on what the problem of today was. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that's kind of anecdotal, but we do do different surveys and interaction with faculty. And, and as Rich was saying, I mean, the book is still widely used across college campuses. Mm -hmm. So I want to connect... Like your background, you grew up as a hunter. Or maybe you no. didn't grow up, but you are a hunter today. Well, yeah, again, I did not grow up. But, you know, becoming the executive director of the Leopold Foundation, and you can – it's actually surprising. You guys will be surprised, too. People read a San County Almanac, and they somehow don't see that Aldo Leopold was a hunter. I, that's, so I read – reread it. Right, in preparation for this podcast. And I was reminded, like, there's a lot of hunting, like, especially references to bird dogs. Yeah. But, you know, chasing grouse, chasing pheasants, quail, deer. I mean, there is a lot of hunting references oh, in the same uh, I mean, and that's how he came to understand the land was hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was absolutely instrumental. So it is kind of amazing to me when people, like, read red legs kicking and they say i didn't know aldo leopold was a hunter meanwhile they were just quoting a san county almanac and how they love it well you did not read it very close mm -hmm. um but so after a while i was just like my gosh if this was that instrumental on in how leopold came to understand the land i i need to try it just to understand you know better how to see the world through his eyes and and what i would come to learn and uh you know, I'm not a, a, a fanatic, but I spend a lot of time in a duck blind or chasing pheasants and in a deer stand. Mm. And, and you know, I tell my non-hunting friends, like, yeah, you, you could get out in the morning, but I don't. When it's not hunting season, I'm not out there mm -hmm. at daybreak. Uh, so I don't know what it is. And, and then just seeing the world really trying to think about and connect how the wildlife around you are interacting with it, you know, trying to get into their mind and see it through their eyes. It, it, I just, I just never have that experience when I'm just hiking mm. or camping. And so it's, it absolutely has opened a, a new way of thinking for me. And, and w when you respond that way to people that 
maybe just didn't think about it, or maybe they're even anti. They they come to Leopold and love the land ac- ethic, but maybe they were anti-hunting. What's what's the reaction? What's the impression? Well, first I'd say, you know, I was just uh, showing you guys this publication that the Leopold uh, Foundation put out called Why Hunt, and it's really a communication piece for those audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not The goal is not to get everybody to hunt, but it is to get people to understand the multiple values of hunting from a conservation perspective, from personal perspective, from an economic perspective. And so really my goal is just uh, to, to try to ask them to stop and think and, and just share my story about how important it has been for me to understand uh, the land and, and understand conservation better. And, um, and then also feed them some venison backstrap <laughs> and usually you know unless they're vegan that does that goes a long way right yeah not necessarily to persuade them to think differently just to get them to open their mind yeah yeah, yeah. um rich i'll let you have a word in edgewise here as a kid growing up in wisconsin going to school like do you remember when you were introduced to leopold is that something that like every third grader gets leopold or is that later in in uh in schooling. Yeah, it's it's not every third grader. Um, I was introduced to Leopold in my freshman year of, of college at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point in a natural resources 101 class, you mm. know, and it was mandatory reading. But it, it certainly impacted me the rest of my my life, both personally and professionally. But yeah, we don't read it in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you say it's impacted you throughout your professional life like anything you can point to ex- examples or memories yeah. or conversations that it's come i don't up. yeah i don't know why but just the essays and the month by month you know observations spoke to me personally mm. I, it was just so relatable to my experiences in the do- outdoors that i was like yes, mm. he gets it, or yes, mm-hmm. I've experienced that or felt that. I just wasn't able to put, ever put it into words as eloquently as he <laughs> did, obviously. But I, I think that's what made the book and his writing so timeless is even a country boy from Wisconsin can read this profound work and relate to it mm-hmm. and have it impact you know, I think their ab- lives. I think about, I think about his quotes quite often and you know throughout at the end of this podcast i'll ask you each to share your favorite leopold quote and i'm gonna do this isn't my favorite but it's the one that i probably think about the most from a marketing perspective and um well i'll I'll read the quote and then i'll put it into my own words because that's what i'd normally do (laughs) so here's leopold's quote it's early on it's the february uh the first paragraph in the February component of a sand. I know in, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, from a marketing perspective, PR perspective, communication, I think about this all the time. It's from a good oak. It says, "There are two spiritual dangers in not owning a farm. One is the danger of supposing that breakfast comes from the grocery, and the other that heat comes from the furnace." So, if you think about that. The way I put that in my own mind is we have an entire generation. And, and again, Leopold wrote this in 1949, right? 1949, 75 years ago. But you think about it right now. There, I'm looking out the window into the Twin Cities, and there is a entire um, millions of people that go to the grocery store and buy a package of chicken in a styrofoam container, and they have no concept they don't even they absolutely do not even think that that package of uh, boneless skinless chicken breasts in a styrofoam package was once a living thing and they have take it one step further that it was a living thing that needed land needed water needed food they just go to cub kowalski's hy-vee whatever your grocery store and they buy food off a shelf and they don't think about how we treat our planet connects to the food, the water, the air, the place we live. 
And to me, that ties back to your comment, buddy, about the connection to hunting. Because I, I, I go to a, I just went to my, my wife's grandma turned 100. Um, and there's generations of cousins there that, like, what do you do for a living? Well, I worked for pheasants forever. Like, where do pheasants live? Uh, well, they live in, in grasslands. Like, well, I've never seen one in my yard. And like, well, not, not lawn. <laughs> like, grassland, you got to explain, like, the depths yeah. of education to get them to understand what I even do, right? And they, they've known me for 20 years yeah. in this family, right? And yet, there's a whole generation of people that buy water in a container, buy food off the shelf. And to me, whether or not this was an original thought that Leopold have, I attribute it to his original thought, like that we have a major disconnect in this well, on this planet in many places between how we treat habitat to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. right? Food, water, air, shelter. And that, in essence, is what Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, um, Ducks Unlimited, Nature Conserving, that is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're teaching, well, we're, we're helping improve the land for habitat, which has reverberating effects for broader understanding of the public, but then also cleaner water, healthier soils, a lot, a lot of well, and I, I know you guys each one. Go ahead, Rich. Well, way into that. I was just think about that. He wrote those words in 1949, and you kind of alluded to it. But at that time, everybody had a flock of chickens in their backyard. Wow. Mm. Still, you know. So fast forward today, and think how relevant that message is <laughs> today. And you can go through the book and find those anecdotes like that. It's like. How did he have the vision to say those things at that time? Those were the good old days maybe for you and, you know, <laughs> us. But he he saw those things, and they're, that's what makes yeah. it so timeless and, you is know, they are relevant yeah, today. Yeah, and, and to build on what Rich is saying and connect it back to you from a marketing perspective, you know, he says that over and over again in different ways using different metaphors. Mm -hmm. Here he's talking about spiritual. Mm -hmm. So he's yeah. trying to get at something deeper, right, mm -hmm. our emotive – uh, uh, relationships with each other and with life and other times it's ecological and but he's trying to find different ways to connect with the reader to get to this point that we're all connected if we don't take care yeah. of this place we're all going to pay the price it and i say that over and over that that saying and I, again i know i butcher this quote when i say <laughs> it but the but the point's the same like you know hunting for you know, whatever it is, pheasants, quail, <clears throat> rough grouse, whitetail, it's that wildlife individual has one bad day, right? It's the one bad day. They, they get to live free life in habitat, on public lands, private lands. Like, it, yeah, they got to escape predators, right? <laughs> but And, and 500,000 whitetail hunters in the state well, of Wisconsin. Sure. <laughs> it's not that sure. critical. <laughs> well, but, but it... it it's better than ending up in a styrofoam package. You yeah, know what right I mean? Now, right, like, yeah. you, you know, that, that rooster, you know, that's going to live, you know, maybe 19 months has just a wonderful experience on this planet until my German short hair comes along, gets a whiff. <laughs> but, but, but I think the hunting component absolutely reinforces that connection that observation that leopold is preaching preaching maybe is the right word maybe yeah. it isn't right, right? <clears throat> and throughout much of his writings that it does connect the hunter's view of habitat the land through the eyes uh, of somebody that's observing what's going on um, it is really is really unique, especially in 2024, yeah. which is part of the reason you want to celebrate a 75th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. To make it simple, we just think the world would be better if people read or reread a San County Almanac more <laughs> regularly. <laughs> I think that so a land ethic. It's it's a a big term. Um, we've essentially been talking about a land ethic put it in your words i'm sure you've had to give 
an elevator yeah. speech of the land ethic before. Well, so h- how I describe it is, and, and I'll use one of my favorite quotes, and now maybe I'll get to use a couple. Uh, yeah, go for it. In the <laughs> foreword, he writes, when we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. And so, again, it's recognizing our connection. And so how I describe it is Leopold's asking us to understand that the flora and fauna are part of our community, part of our family, so that we'll at least think about extending the same ethical care consideration to them as we do our friends and family. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you got to hold all that in balance, but it's recognizing our relationship and it's expanding our boundaries of community to include the natural world. Mm. So you two just blew my two favorite quotes. <laughs> did we? Yeah, you got to get early, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> You did. You snooze, you lose. Like, my Lord, they just (laughs) took my two favorite quotes. You better start thumbing through the book again. (laughs) In fairness, those are probably the two most popular, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But they are. They're both both incredibly powerful. And they're, I mean, you do a quick Google search of Leopold quotes, and it's bada bing, bada boom, (laughs) right? They're so powerful. Yeah. You know, the fact that food doesn't come from the grocery store and that we as human beings are part of a community along with the wildlife. And, you know, it's it's such there's such big thoughts and yet they're so simple. Right. Um, (laughs) We'd be all better off if everybody in on the planet thought about that a little bit more absolutely <laughs> is there another a third quote you want to get out before one of us no that's <laughs> all right I, I think the one buddy just referenced though really probably to me is the most important that we just we're part of this community and we have to live in it and then we can't it's not going to go on forever we have to take care of it so do you have it written down yeah yeah do. go ahead and read it he just recited it verbatim. Yeah, the was guy's okay. the executive director, <laughs> for goodness sake. All right. Um, here's where you can weigh in because I know you've done some research on this. <laughs> I, I was doing my own research over the weekend on, you know, just getting prepped for this. And I, you got a brand new website. Yeah. Give us the web address. www.aldoleopold.org. Aldoleopold.org. And one of the fresh new blogs on there is um, titled Five Things You May Not Know About Aldo Leopold. And number one, I did know, um, it says he loved dogs. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, Aldo Leopold owned German short hairs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wanted that to, to be well known here. Oh, that's a surprise. Yeah, uh, right. Well, right, yeah, yeah. What, what other breed would you, you own Com- <laughs> coming from a pointer guy and a lab guy? <laughs> Um, so I guess uh, we'll start with Buddy. Give us a kind of overview of all those um, bird di- And I know he didn't just own short hairs. I just wanted to set the stage with it. Well, I, I, I will. I'll, I'll let you win in the end, Bob. But <laughs> he, he, dogs were present throughout his whole life. Uh, as a young boy, they had what I think was a cocker. Then he had a springer. Uh, and then his last two dogs were short hairs. Um, but I, I think, again, it goes back to the value of hunting and how it helps us inhabit the world. I think for Leopold, that was totally true. I mean, when he writes about dogs and how they're experiencing the world and how he's trying to kind of access what they're experiencing but knows he can't, mm. um, I, I think, you know, not only was hunting an important way he connected with the natural world, but seeing how dogs hunted uh, was I think a really important part, and um, yeah, you again, like you said, when you read a San County Almanac, you you can't you, you it's hard to believe you could miss that he was a hunter. You can't miss that he was a dog lover and owner. There's no character that shows up more in the book than Gus. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, no individual character. Yeah. It is shocking. You you brought up a few minutes ago, like somebody can read this book and not recognize that he was a hunter like what what on earth yeah well i think it probably comes from we just all see the world from our own eyes and you know how important that is again you know why i think hunting is an important exercise is it helps you break out of that but i think people read it they gravitate to the wilderness to the big Mm. idea 
and they don't read the granularity of what he was doing to actually come to those understandings and realizations. Mm. Gus in Flick. Rich, I know you did a little bit of research. What did you learn? Well, my research was pretty simple. I just called an old friend who had done all the research. Um, good friend, uh, Ken Blomberg from Junction City, Wisconsin, a true disciple of Leopold, honestly. Uh, been raising short hairs for 70 years um, over there uh, and um, actually wrote an uh, article for the Pointing Dog Journal. Um, I don't even know if that's still published. It is. Is it? Is yep. it? Good. Yep. Um, and then it was reprinted or republished in a book that he also wrote titled Letters from Art. And it's the, the article is titled In Search of Gus. Mm. So as you can imagine, he did a ton of research to put that, that article together. Um, and he actually sent me, I don't know if I shared it with you or not over the weekend, but he sent me Gus's pedigree that he got from Art Hawkins, uh, one of Leopold's first graduate students, I think. Correct, yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, again, in his own right, an incredible waterfall biologist, ornithologist, Mm -hmm. um, just paved his own way, you know, stood tall in Leopold's shadow, kind of. And we helped um, purchase a waterfall production area that is now public water, uh, Art Hawkins waterfall production Right on. Open to the public. Yeah, so... um, I don't know how in-depth or exciting this <laughs> this will be, but Gus was whelped on January 30th. So uh, just, you know, whatever, a short tomorrow, few weeks ago. Yeah, well, yeah. tomorrow, today, if we, you, as we record. A couple of weeks ago, you know, when this may listen, air. Yep. But uh, so if Gus was still alive, he'd be 88 years old on January 30th. Um, again, from, from Ken, learning from Ken, uh, Gus's, Parents were foundational stock for the German German short-haired pointer breed in America. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were both imported, laid the foundation for the breed. Um, Again, my understanding through through Ken is that Gus was bred twice. Um, Somewhere down the line, he is a dog named Rusty, who was the first dual... uh, Champion, dual champion. Thank you. Um, in the German short-haired breed, and recognized as the first winner of a field trial national champion in the American Kennel Club. Wow! So, um, some so awesome it, history there. And you sent the pedigree to Marilyn Vetter. I did. Our president. Uh-huh. Yes. Know, did she share the connections with you? About a, a little bit, but she said she shared it with you. Yeah. And so I have two. Documents. I wasn't listening to her when she was telling me. <laughs> I have two documents. So Marilyn um, and her husband, Clyde, um, own Sharpshooters Kennels in New Richmond. And um, Gus is back in their line. Um, Their descendants, ninth and tenth generation back in the Sharpshooters line. Uh, So as you you can imagine, like you mentioned, um, Gus was um, kind of the basis of breeding German short hairs in the United States. So if you follow that tree, the bird dog tree says today um, she can look at some of her lines and that there's 30 generations of um, 30 generations over 1500 puppies. Wow. Wow. With that is cool. Connections to Gus again through, um, you know, ninth and 10th generation of her line. Wow. So a small world. When yeah. It comes Isn't that crazy? That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gus was purchased, at, purchased actually by Art Hawkins. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the other, uh, I, I suppose this is another winning argument for you, Bob, for Germans. <laughs> uh, but but Leopold didn't select Gus. Yeah, it yeah. was Art Hawkins' dog. It he was, was dropped oh. on him. When he had to oh, go wow. to World War II. <laughs> he was a discard dog. <laughs> <laughs> but but <laughs> after Gus died, the next dog he bought, German short. So he was a com- convert. <laughs> and another quick story I just got to share this because it's a good one. Again, uh-huh. came from my buddy Ken, so take it with a grain and salt. I don't know if it's true or not, but in his research, he reached out to Nina Bradley Leopold to mm. get a story. And she recounted that when they got Gus, and especially after um, – 
visits to the farm and they'd come back to town. They obviously lived in the city uh, when all the Leopold would let them out at night um, before bed. Many times Gus would take off and end up at a tavern <laughs> in Madison and the tavern owners would call and say, Professor, he's down at so-and-so's tavern. Could you please come and get him? So even he liked the nightlife in his big city. Was he drinking Miller, a good Wisconsin beer? I have no idea what his choice of uh, barley, barley pop was, but probably a stout. <laughs> Uh, and then there was also Flick, right? So Flick came before, right? Well, so Flick has is kind of a long lineaged family dog name for the Leopold. So he had a Springer that was Flick, and I'm trying to document maybe a couple of Springers that went under the name Flick. Then Gus came to him with a name, okay. Uh, but then his Short hair after Afterwards. Gus was Flick. Oh, okay. That's where I got confused. Yeah. There was... It is confusing. When you said, oh, let's talk about Leopold's dogs, I had to go back and try to make sure I remembered who was who. And and then Flick carried forward. So uh, uh, there there have been labs that are named Flick. And, and now, I think as Rich knows, Jed Mounier, the great-grandson of Aldo Leopold, has a dog bred through Gus's line. Uh, and and it's his second short hair, and this second one is named Flick. Okay. So the the legend lives on. <laughs> so Gus was named by Art Hawkins and dropped on Leopold, but Flick is a Leopold kind of generational name. Do you know why that is? Any oh, where no. Flick comes from? No, that's a good question. Yeah. That's more research to be done. Yeah, it's, oh, it's all right. Episode two. The episode yeah. two of On the Wing <laughs> podcast with the Leopold Foundation. Um, 75th anniversary of a San County Albanac. What do you have in store coming ahead? Well, we're really just kind of doing a mini PR campaign. And, mm. it, you know, I was kind of jokingly that we just wanted more people to read the book, but that's really the, the goal. And so, you know, excited and, and really uh, happy and honored to be part of this and, and just kind of remind people that this book keeps having answers and insights for us. And so we're kind of just pursuing all these different opportunities. Uh, book is on sale, $7.50. Can't buy it cheaper anywhere than on our website. So say that, I mean, that, that's, uh, I mean, to have a seminal book for the Foundation of Conservation and hunting in the United States and help contribute to a worthy cause, the Aldo Leopold Foundation. How can people find that book? Yeah, so you go to that website, aldoleopold.org, and uh, there will be a little uh, opportunity to buy the book. And we price it at $7.50, kind of in honor of 75th anniversary. Right on. Um, basically kind of covers our cost, but we get a royalty and so a little bit does support our programming, and mainly we just want to make it affordable so it gets out there and in people's hands. We'll and if you've read it, buy a copy and give it to your niece or nephew or neighbor. Uh, you know, just grow the circle. Yeah. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so folks listening, uh, you can click that link. And $7.50, I mean, can't wow. buy it. Can't buy a, a like Can't that's buy two a latte for that. Yeah, my goodness, right? <laughs> yeah. a latte, two gallons of gas, <laughs> a craft beer. Um, are are all, all the other Leopold writings on the website as well? Uh, yeah. So um, you know, there's this book, The River of the Mother of God, which I brought uh, copies for oh, you too. Oh, really? What's a, oh? There's a short hair on the cover uh, of that <laughs> one. <laughs> Uh, that's a collection of his writings from when he was a teenager to very end of his life. And so that's Gus, by yeah, the way. That's Gus. So yeah, we have a full, kind of the whole array. If, if there's something out there on Leopold, we have it in our bookstore. Awesome. Um, and you're doing some specials with, um, having people read their famous favorite quotes. Yeah, this is an effort we're calling Amplify the Almanac. Uh, we're excited that, uh, Marilyn Vetter, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever CEO is going to participate, and and it's just finding your favorite passage and sharing a little bit your Leopold story. Uh, so maybe we'll let Rich do it since we, we stole <laughs> we, all his we quotes. Stole his quotes, <laughs> and uh, and then they, you know just fun social media fair, and again just anybody can do that and, and share it with us. And uh, you shared one, um, the author of Where the Crawdads Sing. Yeah, uh, remind me her name. Delia Owens. 
It, yeah, so I don't know if folks have read that book, but it was a, a worldwide global seller. Didn't and they a make movie. that into a movie? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah a I was movie. just going to yeah. say that. And, I watched the movie. It's and, awesome. You know, she yeah. was a hardcore wildlife biologist, did work in Oops. Africa. Some of it's a little controversial about, you know, hmm. what they were doing to try to protect wildlife. But she says, like, San County Almanac changed her life. She read that as an undergrad and decided she wanted to be a wildlife biologist. Wow. And then... <laughs> Her fun story is, so she kept giving a San County Almanac to her friends, and they're like, well, there's there's no sex, there's no death, <laughs> there's no crime scene. So she said, I wrote a mystery novel, and, and Aldo Leopold is a figure in the book. Really? Um, and, and she's very clear that, you know, she wrote that in honor of Aldo Leopold. Wow. You can buy that book on our, at our bookstore. Can book you store. really? Well, yeah. Ah, yeah. That's a tremendous yeah. book. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, we got to. We're at the point where everybody can share their favorite quote, and <laughs> I don't know, Richie, if you have any left. <laughs> um, my favorite's my favorite, so I'm going to analyze it maybe you, a little you, bit. You, I'm not going to look for another one. That'll work. We'll share share your favorite and analyze it for us. So it does come from the forward. Buddy was right. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been looking at my notes. Um, no, but. We abuse land because we see it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. Um, and I think just thinking about, and that one is one that has stuck with me mm-hmm. since, mm-hmm. you know, being a freshman. And, and the land, what's, what's the land to me and to Aldo? It's the soil. It's the water, it's the wildlife, it's the plants, it's all-encompassing, and it is alive. It's a living being. The land lives, and we're, we're just part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think about it in that way, it's like, how can you not want to take care of it? It's, it's our bedroom. You know, it's our home. Um, so just a really spiritual tie to the land. And then... How can you, you know, to love and respect it, you have to get to know it. Because you can't love and respect people, a dog, a place, um, without getting to know it first. So it just has this, you have to tie yourself to the land, and you have to experience, and you have to get to know it before you can love and respect it and treat it um, the way we should be treating it. So it just kind of capsulizes my life, how I live my life, how... My wife Shelly and I raised our kids as part of this community and tried to teach these these things to them, important life lessons. And and I think when you live that way and live by this this quote, um, you can't help but raise good people, be a good person for the most part. I might screw up once in a while, but um, you know, so it just it just has so much meaning to me that that one quote. All right, I'm gonna let him have it. That was that was awesome, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> it it does feel like it, it, you know the golden rule: treat others as you would yeah. want treated yeah. you. Well, it's the same premise, but the land is the others, right? right. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, buddy. What's your favorite? All right. So this is near the end. Rich's quote was from the beginning. This is about the end of the book, where he writes: "I have purposely presented the land ethic as a product of social evolution." because nothing so important as an ethic is ever written. And he goes on to say, it evolves in the minds of a thinking community. And, you know, I think that's the awesome part of, of the conservation community and is embodied by Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is it's still, we're still evolving. We're still figuring it out, but it takes all these people from all different walks of life to come together, to, to learn to know the land, to, to take care of it. And so I just think it's beautiful that he ended the book by giving it all to us. Like, mm. you know, it's up to you all. He wrote a great book. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. So you guys went way deep. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I went, you know, very straightforward <laughs> with, with my favorite quote. Um, I always end every podcast with uh, always follow the dog, right? So we're going to end this with a, with a Leopold quote that, basically says that the dog knows what is grouse word better than you do you will do well to follow him 
or her closely, reading from the cock of his ears the story the breeze is telling. When at last he stops, stocked still, and says with a sideward glance, well, get ready. The question is ready for what? A twittering woodcock or the rising roar of a grouse? Or perhaps only a rabbit? In this moment of uncertainty is condensed much of the virtue of grouse hunting. He who must know what to get ready for should go and hunt pheasants. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was wonderful. (laughs) Um, As we close out this episode, uh, start with you, Rich. Any any closing thoughts for our listeners? If you hadn't haven't read a San Colony Almanac, pick it up and read it. If you have, read it again. It is timeless (laughs) and like. Buddy, open up with you. Learn something from it every time you read. Uh, read it. Um, and finding birds was the reason for Gus. You know, they got him to help them with their bird uh, census yeah. work. Is yeah. the only reason they got him was to work on that that research area um, east of Madison. And the name escapes me. Uh, Lake pro- Mills. There the you Fayetteville go. Fayetteville Grove Prairie. Right yeah. on. Yeah. So um, they knew then that to find birds, you had to get that bird dog. Yeah. So, right on. Well, I just Daddy. echo Rich, you know, read or reread the book. And, and, you know, for listeners of this podcast, keep doing what you're doing. Mm. You know, we need you out there. We need you hunting and, and uh, building habitat and caring for it and supporting organizations like PF and QF. And this is what about it evolves in the minds of the thinking community and caring community. Yeah, right on. Yeah, it, <clears throat> you know, it's easy for people to kind of. I'm not going to read a book. It's 2024. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm going to go watch a Netflix. Um, take the time. It's not an arduous read. Um, you can read it one month at a time. Yeah, there's essays that uh, are two minutes long. You know, yeah. if you, there's some pretty, pretty short yeah. <laughs> essays in there. And, and they really are thought-provoking and relevant in 2024. Um, it'll change your life in a... I mean that sincerely. It's not, it's not something that you're going to forget. Um, it changes your perspective. Um, again, um, you know, patronize our friends, aldoleopold.org. $7.50, you can pick up a copy, and you'll be helping perpetuate um, uh, the teachings of a great, great human being. Um, so thank you, buddy, for, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Right on. Um, I'll leave you with these final words, folks. Um, Always follow the short hair because that's what Aldo would have done. (laughs) Thanks for listening.